Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Good morning, Generation Church. Are you excited to be here today? I had no idea that James Clemens was a movie announcer voice guy. Did you guys? He did a good job. I'm excited to go see Noah. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a fun movie. And so um, if you're not a part of the Dream Team, man, you should go sign up, come with us, hang out. We're going to have a really good time. We'll share a lot of vision at that um, event for what we're doing for the rest of the year. So great time to come out and just hear what God's doing at Generation Church. Well, we uh, are starting a new series today. It's called Momentum, and uh, it's a series about finances. Now, before you clutch your purse and hide your wallet down in your sock, uh, this is not a series about you giving. Uh, this is not um, a series that is going to end in a momentum offering. This is not a series that is about you tithing. This is not a series that is about any of those things. This is a series about you. And this is a series about how you can gain momentum in your financial world. See, we've got to be healthy inside of our own heart before we can ever be effective in the way that we give. And so I know that as, as people of God, there is a, a job for us. There's work for us to do as it relates to how we handle and steward or manage our money. And so I'm excited about this series. I encourage you to invite somebody that you know that needs to hear this. It's going to be a three or four week series that is just a lot of good practical things about how to handle your finances. So I want to welcome you. Can we welcome all those joining us by video as well? So glad you guys have tuned in. So the title of this weekend's message is A New Normal. And when I was preparing this message, I realized something, that there is just a normal flow to finances. As I look around the world, there are just things that are normal to us. How many of you guys have a, a mortgage for your home? It's pretty normal, right? How many of you guys have a car note for the car that you drive? pretty normal. How many of you guys have student loans? They've been hanging around for 30 years. It's like a small child that never grows up and leaves. You know, there's a part of our, our financial society that it's just normal to have debt. It's normal to have a mortgage on your house. It's normal to have a car note. It's normal to have credit card debt. It's normal uh, to spend money that we don't have. And, and what I realized is, is that in the midst of all those things that the world calls normal and that we accept as normal, that God has something that's completely different. And I believe there's a new normal that God wants to bring to us. How many of you guys would agree with this statement? We live in the last of the last days. Say yes or no. Yes. You don't have to watch too much news to find out that this generation of people, us, we can say things about our generation, our time that no other generation has ever been able to say. Things that have been prophesied about the coming of the Lord thousands of years ago are happening right now on Fox News, on CNN, that we are just watching this all around the world. And because of that, we live in a, in a day and an age as we track closer to the coming of the Lord that the way we handle our finances is ever so important. I've been doing this leadership group uh, on Revelation. It's a life group on Thursday nights. And, and so we've been talking a lot about just the whole end times things. And, and one of the things about the last days is that there is going to be one world financial systems. And, um, and so it's important for us. I'm not saying that to scare you, but I do want to grab your attention. It's important for us as people to make sure that we are in the right system as the day approaches. And we're not in the wrong system. Proverbs 22 and 7 says that the borrower is slave to the 
lender. Borrower is slave to the lender. That's normal, isn't it? It's just the way our society is set up, that it's just normal for us to be a slave to people who have money. It's normal for us to, as people, to leverage other people's money. And Melissa's a finance major, so she studied under all of these finance professors that are all broke, by the way, <laughs> on how to handle finances. So the world system says, well, if you want to make money, you've got to leverage somebody else's money at 8.5% interest. Do you guys know that if you buy a $300,000 house, by the time you pay that house off and you've paid the interest, you've paid $647,000 for that house. That doesn't include taxes and interest and, and, or taxes and insurance and repairs and all those kind of things. And we become slaves to those things. But here's the good news. The good news is that there is a, a new normal, that the principles of the word of God, the practical, practical principles, as we pull those out and apply them to our lives, that we don't have to live as a slave. Let me give you some, here's the normal stats. You guys ready for these? 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Say yes if that resonates with you. Yes. One in every two Americans would have to borrow money if they encountered a $5,000 catastrophic event. You have to pay a hurricane deductible. You have to pay a medical deductible of $5,000. 50% of every American would have to put it on a credit card or borrow money in order to pay for that. The average family in America is spending $1.26 for every dollar that we earn. Now, I have a degree in chemistry. I wasn't that great at math, but somewhere I'm not sure that necessarily lines up. We're overspending ourselves. We're outspending our earnings. The number one cause of divorce in America is money problems. They say marriage is grand, but uh, divorce is 50 grand, just in case you were wondering. That's no extra charge there. Money problems are, are wreaking havoc in, in our lives and our families. We have to protect our families. 88% of the church is broke. 88% of people in the church world live paycheck to paycheck and are broke. Now, I don't want you to feel bad because my goal in this is not to make you feel bad. My goal in this is to help you gain some momentum to get out of that so that you can live above and not beneath. You can be the head and not the tail. You can live as a child of God, not a slave to this world. That's God's best for us. I remember when Melissa and I first got married... I came out of college, I had a chemistry degree, I had a biology degree, and I thought, man, I'm just going to come out and make millions. <laughs> I had $29,000 in student loan debt. I had $15,000 in credit card debt. Melissa had $6,000 in student loan debt. And we couldn't even pay our bills. As soon as we got married, Melissa went to Bible college, the same school that I went to, and I thought, I'm going to work in pharmaceuticals. I'm going to find the cure to cancer. I'm going to do something. I want to do research. I ended up selling insurance. How many of you guys know that a person with a scientific mind and a chemistry degree doesn't do well selling insurance? <laughs> I found myself in this place where I was completely just shredded apart inside financially trying to send my wife to Bible college. I'm trying to figure out how to, to start our lives together. And the world says, well, just get in debt. Leverage it. Borrow somebody else's money. Pay this stuff off. And I, I remember looking at my credit card debt, and I remember thinking, there is no way in the world. I pay so much in interest on this that there's not enough money 
to fix it. There's nothing left over. And I would hear people talk about snowball. Snowball your debt, snowball your debt. And I was thinking, there's not a snowball's chance (laughs) in anywhere that I can do this. But I will say this. As I began to put the principles of God and the word of God to use in our lives, the Lord began to blow wind in our sails. And we began to gain some momentum. And we began to get ourselves out of debt and apply what God had designed for us to do in our lives. And the very reason we stand here as pastors of this church is because we put these principles to use in our lives. We were bucking the system of normal. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. I believe there is a new normal. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says this about you. It says, you are God's chosen and special people. You are a group of royal priests and a holy nation, and God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you must tell all the wonderful things that he has done. The scriptures say this, once you were nobody, but now, now you're God's people. At one time, no one had pity on you, but now God has treated you with kindness. The normal system of this world is not to be our system. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special chosen people. And I love how verse 11 reads. It clarifies for us. It says, dear friends, you are foreigners and strangers on this earth. So I beg you not to surrender to those desires that fight against you. You know, we have to begin to define the difference between our needs and our wants in life. As a peculiar people, there are things that war against us, the desires of this life, the wants of this life. We don't necessarily need the wants, but we just want the wants. Like, I want to pull up next to somebody at a stoplight, and I want to impress that person that I'm never going to speak to with my new flashy car. That's what I want to do, but it's not what I need to do. And scripture encourages us that the new normal is, if if we are truly a royal priesthood of God, the new normal is, is that those desires not overtake us, but that we begin to let our desires become God's desires and that we begin to manage our money the way God wants us to manage our money so that we can be truly effective for eternity. Money is, um, it's just part of life. It is a huge part of life. The world revolves around money. God made money. Currencies are part of the governmental system that God established on the planet. Money is not bad. We, we just have to learn how to use money. How many of you guys got your candy bars this morning? How many of you already ate your candy bar? It's my job to sugar you up like a granddad and send you back home today. So eat away. Um, I want to do a little illustration. This illustration is going to help us see just what the the financial breakdown of any group in America looks like. So this is an intentional exercise. Who got the payday candy bars? Raise your hand if you got the paydays. Okay. My payday people, can you please stand up? Would the real payday people please stand up? All right. So these people represent, in any group of a people in America, statistically, these represent independently wealthy millionaire status people. Can we give them a hand? Now, these people got these candy bars randomly. So please do not accost them on their way to the restroom after service. Except Alex. Alex, that tie, he looks like he's a millionaire, right? 
Come on now, in the vest. All right, who got the gold nuggets, the, the, uh, the Hershey's chocolate nuggets? Lift your hands. Okay, if you got a gold nugget, stand up. Let's give those guys a hand. These guys, these guys are living large. They're debt-free. They're just doing what God has called them to do. They owe no man anything. You guys can sit down. How many of y'all got the crunch bar? <laughs> Stand up to your feet. You guys are the normal, broke, busted, and disgusted people that live in everyday life and society. Take, take just a minute and just look around at all the people. 70%, you can sit down, 70% of people in churches in America and any given society within our nation, 70% are a slave to the lender. How many of you guys got the dum-dums, the little suckers? <laughs> Stand up. These are the people statistically who are bankrupt. <laughs> Chapter 13, baby. How many of you guys know bankruptcy is dumb? Dumb. Okay, you can sit down. Who got the zero bars? All right, zero bars, stand up. You got the zero bars because you guys have zero, a zilt, nada, nothing. You are completely broken. And you got the big bars because I felt bad for you. Everybody else got minis. You guys got the full size. Give them a hand. Can anybody identify with those statistics? I mean, you look around the room and you see that the majority, 70% of people are a slave to the lender. God's people, God's children, people who will rule and reign in eternity with him. Slaves on this planet right now to the lender. God's got a better way for us, guys. There is a new normal. And I believe in this year, God wants to help us get to that. I believe that God has some things in store for you individually that are going to blow your mind. But you have to be positioned in order to engage what God has for you. And you can't do it if you're completely bombarded by the world system of debt. I would say this to you too. Ask yourself this question. Who in my world needs to hear this? Who in my world needs to hear this? And I would encourage you to invite them. As we get into some of these practical things over the next few weeks, I believe it will be uh, food to the soul. Maybe you have a spouse that needs to hear this. You know, it's, it's kind of that way in life. Like there's usually one spouse who is the saver. They're the ones that are the pack rat, like you save everything. And then there's another spouse who is the spender, who throws everything that I save away. who sends her love from New York City today. She's at Hillsong doing some ministry things, so I'm going to talk bad about her, okay? No. But it's, it's that way in life. Usually one person is a spender, one person is a saver. But, but who in your world needs to hear this because the practical side of this is going to help us? God has a new normal for us. You know, we're not the only ones that have faced uh, having to navigate debt in life. All throughout Scripture, there are people that have had to navigate this. I want to share a story with you today about a servant and his master. In the book of Luke chapter 16, if you'll turn there with me. Luke chapter 16 and verse 1. I'll give you just the, the background and then we're going to 
unpack this story. So there's a master and his servant, and the servant was not a very good manager of the master's money. So the master calls him to account, and he says, what are you doing? I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to take what you have away. You're not a good manager. And the manager, the servant, the steward, he goes to the people that owed him money, and he says, what do you owe me? He cuts them a discount. They write him what they can give him, and he begins to pay his master. And the master comes around and says, what did you do here? I see that you cut the, the rates and you settled the debts. Good job. So he begins to bless. He begins to encourage and invest in the servant who was once unfaithful. Luke chapter 1 verse 16. Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man. Symbol, symbolism for God. He is the rich man for us. He owns everything. This rich man had a steward, that's symbolic for you, and he had an accusation that was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. This is the world's normal, that goods just get wasted, that we pay things in interest that we shouldn't pay, and we buy things that are really wants and not needs. So here this steward is, he's just wasting goods, and the master comes, and he says, I hear that you're wasting goods according to the world's normal. Verse 2, so then he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer steward. You know, the interesting thing about this is in life, it doesn't seem like we have to give an account for it because we just account for ourselves. But here's the reality about this is the way that you manage your finances, you do have to give an account for. You have to account First, to the creditors, whether you pay it or not. You have to account to your children whether or not you leave them a legacy. You have to account to your spouse whether or not you have enough to supply the needs of the family. See, the thing about money management is it is not without accounting. Even though we feel like in the normal system of this world that it doesn't have an accounting. Like nobody's really chasing you around to say, hey, did you mortgage that? As a matter of fact, um, 352 days out of 365 days a year, debt is, ma is marketed to people on TV. It's the number one most marketed um, thing on TV. More commercials are about debt than anything else on TV. How to get credit cards, how to get a Quicken loan, how to get a mortgage, how to buy a car, how to lease this, how to do that. And so the society has kind of built this thing that says, well, there's no accountability to it. Because this is how I leverage myself to get out of it. But there is accountability to it. So this steward found him in himself in the place where God is saying to him, give an account of your steward. For you can no longer be steward. Now, it's not a typo in the King James Version of the Bible. It reads like you should think it would say you can no longer be a steward. Make sense? But it doesn't say you can no longer be a steward. It says you can no longer be steward. They didn't forget the article A. It's not what he's talking about. He, he's not talking about something you do. He's talking about something you are. A steward, a manager of the resources of the kingdom of God is not an action. It's an identity. When we make it about an action, we set ourselves up for failure. You are not a steward. You steward. You steward. You manage God's resources appropriately. It's all his anyway, and we have got to be the ones who give an account to him for how we use it. 
Number one, if you're following along on your fill-ins, I have four for you today as we unpack this scripture. He had to give an account. Number one, money must be managed. Money must be managed in life. It is something that, that in our society, the norm says, well, just manage it after the fact. Like, I'm going to swipe my debit card, and then I'm going to go to PNC Bank, and then I'm going to see what I spent. Money has to be managed, and it has to be managed up front. I heard a quote one time. It says, if you continually aim at nothing, you will consistently hit that. And when we take our money and we consistently aim at nothing, we consistently hit that. When, when we don't budget appropriately, when we don't manage appropriately, we consistently find ourselves wasting the goods that God has given us. This word steward, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like a buzzword. You know, we throw around this word steward, but really what it means is it just means to manage the resources of the kingdom. Just manage what God has given you. Stewardship is not about what you give. It's about what you do with what God has already given you. Stewardship is an interesting thing because it is a means of the kingdom of God to protect us. If the divorce rate is 52% in America, and it is, and the number one cause of divorce in America is money problems, when we get our money problems situated and we begin to manage our finances, guess what we've done? We've protected our families. We protected our kids from being in a split home. If you've been divorced, I'm not mad at you. I believe God restores all things. So please don't hear that. Hear the part about this, that as God restores those things, we have to manage the resources that he's given. We have to be a good steward. I remember as I was trying to get into, re, uh, I guess, managing the, the things that God had given me and, and trying to restore what had happened in my financial world as I graduated college and got married. I remember thinking, man, there's just no way I can do this. And I remember feeling in, inside like this is impossible. I remember feeling like I'm never going to get where I know God wants me to be. Anybody ever felt that way? Like I looked at the bills and I said, they exceed the income. How can I do this? And I would say to you, if you're in that place today, that you just begin to give God a shot. Like you just start to take some of the principles of the kingdom of God and just put them to practice in your life. The reason we call this series Momentum is because I believe it's something that God wants to help us gain. Like you don't snap your fingers and you're just there. That wasn't snapping my fingers. You've got to start where you are and allow it to exponentially increase. And what I found is, is that I didn't have enough money on paper to get myself out of debt, but I did have enough of the backing of my father to get me there. And what did not make sense on paper, it began to make sense in my reality. What was a normal to the world was abnormal to me. And God began to do some amazing things. I want to encourage you that as you begin to give God the opportunity to work in your finances, you'll see him do some amazing things. Hi, Generation Church family. My name is Luis Raineri. This is my lovely bride, Jen Raineri. I want to take a few moments to share our testimonial about stewardship and really the, the grace and generosity that God, our creator, has shown us over the last two years. And for me, if I may start, Jen, it was uh, really about an opportunity to break the chains of uh, the borrower being a slave to the lender. He is great. 
And the more you pour into him, the more he delivers all the time. And that's really the experience that we're living in the moment right now with, with God's generosity. And we took the Financial Peace University course. We were disciplined and obedient about the curriculum. We tightened the belt a little bit here and there. But you know what? We came out stronger than we, when we first took the curriculum. And as a result, we've liquidated all of our debt except for our mortgage, praise God. And hopefully you're able to see some of the abundance in our backyard, our garden that we, we have been blessed to, uh, to share with all of our friends. Our chain, the one weak link, was finances. And if there was ever a topic of frustration or debate, <laughs> she's laughing because it's true. <laughs> if there was ever a topic of frustration or disagreement, it was finance. And the first place we probably were fully disciplined and uh, obedient was about tithing. And I think from thereafter, the momentum never stopped because he showed his grace constantly, time and time and again. I mean, we had how much in debt? $107,000. One whole seven. And that was not a small, uh, small mountain to climb, but we decided that we were going to climb it, we were going to achieve it with God's blessing and God's grace, and so we did. It's been, a, it's been an amazing journey to just watch what happens when we became good stewards of what God has given us. Not just our finances, but really our time and our, our love for our heart for the house here and for Generation Church, our family, and just being in a place to serve together and worship together and steward all our time. Um, even being super intentional in parenting our, our children. And it came back to a place where we just looked at each other and said, enough. We are, we've come from broken families. Both our parents are divorced. We are breaking this, this chain and we are saying we're going to do whatever it takes to create a solid marriage, which will then in turn pass on to our children and future generations. And I think it's so ironic that by trade, Luis is a sommelier and the word means steward. And so for us to take that in and really begin to understand what it means to steward and to be a caretaker and to be privileged to be a caretaker for everything God has given us is, is a blessing in itself. So I don't know where you are today in, in your stewardship, in your management, but these guys in two years' time, they paid off $107,000 in commercial consumer debt, and um, you can do it too. And we're going to share a bunch of stories over the next few weeks that, to just to encourage you to let you know that it can be done. You just have to begin to put one foot in front of the other. So money has to be managed. And the first thing you got to do to manage your money is you just have to have a budget. You have to spend it on paper before you spend it in the grocery store. You have to make sure that you have already decided where it's going to go. You have to pay God first and pay yourself second and then spend it on all of your bills. Because in life, if you wait to save at the end, there's never anything left. Because over the course of a month, we've already figured out that, you know, I already have 12 pairs of shoes, but 13 would be nice. And so we don't end up saving anything by the end of the month. And so you've got to put the priorities where the priorities are. Did you guys know that if you take $100 a month and you put it in just a typical interest-bearing IRA at age 30, $100, by the time you're age 70 and you retire, that money has turned into $1.176 million dollars. Come on, Starbucks people. That $7.75 you spend for that venti every single day, if you put that in the bank, by the time you retire, you would have a million dollars in the bank. See, it's just these little principles 
of the kingdom of God that help us get to that place of God's new normal for us. So we have to have a written budget. You have to give an account of your stewardship. Wise people get out of debt and they save. How do you do that? How do you get out of debt and how do you save? Well, you have to start by acting your wage. Just humor me, please. We have to learn to act our wage. You know, we, we spend a dollar and a quarter for every dollar that we earn. We're living above our means. And we live in a pretty affluent area in Jupiter. And um, what I've noticed in our area is even though it's an affluent area, we still are racked with debt. We have a disease. It's called affluenza. <laughs> Sorry. It's what happens when Melissa travels. And in our disease of affluenza, it, it doesn't matter how much we make because we still have this heart that says, I need to pile more on. Like, I've got to keep up with the Joneses, and, and I, I need to, to have a new house on the water because my friend got a house on the water, and well, they got a new Mercedes. Well, I got to get the better BMW and, and all of these kind of things. And, and here's the reality. You can make a million dollars a year, but if you spend a million two hundred thousand, you're broke. It's not about how much you make. Making more money does not fix the issue. What fixes the issue is how we spend what we have. Whether you make 30 grand or 300,000, it's about how you steward or you manage what you already have. Making more money doesn't fix it. How many of you guys have noticed in our area, a lot of affluent people are up to here in debt? People earning well into the six figure range that still are having financial struggles. Because we have a disease. It's called, I want more than I can afford. And I believe that God wants to help us get out of that. Proverbs chapter 21 and 20. It says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours everything that he has. See, God's principles for us is that we should take something. We should put some choice stores in our house. We should save some things. We should put something aside every single time we get paid. So that when we get to the end of our lives, we have something to show for it. Pastor Jim says this. He says, if you live wide open at the beginning of your life, you're going to live closed down at the end. And if you live narrow at the beginning of your life, you can live wide open at the end. It goes back to buying that house. If you saved that $300,000 and then bought that house cash, you can save the other $347,000 that you would have paid in interest and do something fun with it. But our mentality of the world, the normal system says, well, I can't wait 15 years to save that. How could I ever save $300,000? I just will go ahead and go in debt for it now. And I'm going to pay double for it later. God's system gets us out of debt. Number two, money is a powerful force. So money has to be managed. But then we have to understand that money is a powerful force. It's, it is what makes the world go round. Money by itself is not a bad thing. The steward said this in verse 3. He said, within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, which means I don't want to work. And I am ashamed to beg, which means he's probably going to end up on 995 with a son eventually. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship or the management, that they may receive me into their houses. What's he saying? He's trying to find a way to manage his resources. When he had just managed the money God had given him to begin with, he would have never had to manage the resources of his friends and family. 
How you live in the beginning of your life determines how you live in the latter part of your life. That you could be people that leave a legacy to your kids, to your family. And we could do something in our day and age, in our generation, that is so great. That you wouldn't have to live in the pain and the turmoil of financial slavery. How we handle the money that God entrusts to us determines how God handles us. You say that again. How we handle the money that God entrusts to us determines how God handles us. As we steward over that, God looks and says, wow, I can trust them. And now that I know that I can trust them because money has become a magnifying glass to their heart, I think I'm going to give them some more. Because I know they're going to do the right things with it. Matthew 25, 29, it says, For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You know, every road has two ditches. I talk about this all the time. Every road has two ditches, and both of those ditches are usually bad. There's a ditch of a prosperity gospel that is bad. And it's just as bad as the ditch of a poverty gospel. Like if, if your mentality is just to get wealthy just for wealth's sake and you've missed the redemptive value, that's a ditch. It's unhealthy. And if you feel more holy to God as you have less, that's a ditch. God wants us to be right in the middle of the road. That we would be effective with the things that he's given us the ability to steward over. How many of you guys have ever heard the saying quoted out of the scripture that money is the root of all evil? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody live today? Okay. Money is the root of all evil. Is that accurate? No. No. We quote that kind of scripture, but really what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money in and of itself is not bad. Money is just a tool. Money is amoral. It doesn't have a leaning one way or the other. Money is a lot like a brick. Like I could take a brick and I could bust the windshield out of your car. That would be fun. (laughs) Or I could take a brick and I could build a hospital with it. See, money becomes a magnifier of who you already are. Money is a tester of our hearts. It is a magnifying glass to see what's inside of us. And with that same brick, I could do damage. Or with that same brick, I could build something that helps people. Money is the same way. With money, I can do damage to people. Or with money, I can help somebody. Money is a powerful force. And as we learn to manage it, God unleashes us to do things that are powerful in our life. I encourage you, if you've been hurt by money, you've been hurt by leadership who hurt you with money, I encourage you to get healed. Get into the middle of the road. Get out of the ditches. Get out of the ditches of gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. And get out of the ditch of, you know, woe is me, holy, holy, holy are my socks. Because I don't have enough money to buy any new ones. Both of those are ditches. Money is a powerful force. Money expands, number three, and limits our options. Money expands and limits our options. How you handle money will expand you or it will limit you. Verse five, it says, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to them first, how much do you owe my master? They were in debt to him and they were in debt to the master. And he said, well, I owe 100 measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down, quickly write out 50. And he said to the other one, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill, write out 
80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. That word in the Greek is phronimos. It's where we get the word phrenology. It's where we get the word uh, brain in our language. It means that he was wise. He wasn't shrewd in that he was mean. He was wise. It means that he used his brain as he dealt with his creditors. There was a study done by a major university showed that every time somebody paid for something, they did a PET scan on their brain. Every time somebody paid for something with cash, their brain lit up like a Christmas tree. It was like, no, I don't want to do that. Stressed them out. They did the same PET scan on people that swiped their debit card for a purchase. Beep. Just dead. There's something about how we steward our money, and it is a powerful force. It expands us, and it limits our options. And when we use our brains and how we handle our money, it causes us to live in the blessing that God has for us. So it goes on to say, for the sons of this world are more shrewd or wise in their generation than the sons of light. What kind of statement is that? That the literal, the children of God are stupid compared to the children of the world. That the children of the world live and act with much more wisdom than the ones who have the source of wisdom. There's a new normal that needs to come to our lives. Debt limits us. That's normal. Saving expands us. Proverbs 22 and 7 says that the rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is a slave to the lender. It's a sad thing that the people of God live as slaves. I believe God wants to free us from that. Number four, money management is a spiritual issue. Verse nine, it says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. It just means the world's money. That when you fail, and I think this is interesting because he doesn't say if, he says when you fail. Money Magazine did a study. It showed that 78% of Americans once in every decade, will have a catastrophic financial failure in their lives. 78% of Americans, once every 10 years, will have a catastrophic failure. Are you ready for that? Do you have enough stores of choice wine and foods and oils and things in your house? Do you have savings enough to handle those things that come at us on a regular basis? So when you fail, make friends that they would receive you into an everlasting home. Verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the world's money, who will commit to you and your trust true riches? If you haven't been faithful with what God has already given you, how can he give you anything spiritual? You know, your destiny is tied to your money. And until you figure out the money thing, you're going to find it very difficult to unlock your destiny. Money is a spiritual thing, and how you manage it is a spiritual thing. Last year in our life group, our life group came up with the idea to bless a single mother for Mother's Day with a car. And we handled the finances at the church um, very strictly, and we managed those things very well according to the scripture. So we had plenty of finances to do that, and uh, we gave people an opportunity to give towards it. And we had this money set aside. We were going to buy a car for a single mother. We knew who she was. We'd been praying, asked the Lord to lead us. She had three small kids. We're getting ready to do it. We're in our life group, and we're sitting there. And the Lord speaks to me and says, why don't you give your car 
And I said, I rebuke you, whoever you are. And the whole time, the Lord is just laying on me. Why don't you give your car? So the life group went on and was trying to kick everybody out. Like, get out of my house. I got to talk to my wife. As soon as the door shut, she looks over at me and she said, the Lord told you to give our car. And I said, I rebuke you. (laughs) And so we prayed about it and we made sure that it was the Lord and he confirmed it twice in two different places. And so we gave our car to a single mom. It was a 2007 Honda Pilot. It's a nice vehicle. First car I'd ever given away. And, and the biggest thing that the Lord, besides the joy of being able to do that, the biggest thing that the Lord did in my life through that was he showed me that I need to be free in order to be used by him to accomplish spiritual things. And if I'd had a note on that car, I would have never been able to give that car. I would have never been able to bless that woman. And then God looks at that and he says, this, in this spiritual issue, you've been found faithful. And so God looks at that and says, well, let me give you something else. And let's see how faithful you are with that. To him who has, more will be given because it's a magnifier of our heart. It's the first car I ever gave away. But you know what? I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm looking forward to maybe I'm going to give a brand new car away to somebody sometime. I want to be able to be free so that I can be used of God to bless people. It's, it's how we show Jesus to the world one of the ways. Scripture says to give a cup of cold water. We can all afford that. But how about give a car away? Impact somebody's life. How about give a house away? Can't do it unless you're free from the bondage of the world system. The normal, the things that we look at are, that are called normal are abnormal. It's slavery. It's legalized slavery. Money is a spiritual thing. You know what I love about this? story with this steward is he was messing up. How many of you guys ever messed up? And he knew he was messing up in his finances. He was already making plans to stay at his buddy's house. He knew that the master was coming and he was going to have to give an account for it. He made his plans, stayed at his buddy's house, but somewhere in the midst of him messing up with his finances... He decided to go to the people that owed him money, who ultimately owed his boss money, and he began to manage that situation. Where it had been unmanaged before, he began to manage it. And what I love about it, the the master had already said, you're out of here, you're done. But when he began to manage, he picked up where he was and he began to manage it, it changed the master's heart. And the master didn't kick him out. And the point to you today is, is it doesn't matter where you are in the management of the resources that God has given you. If you pick up today, God fixes all of those things. You cannot go too far. You cannot mismanage too much. Because money is a magnifier of the heart. If you can start today, you may feel like you're completely weighed down by debt. You may feel like I did. Melissa and I first got married. There's no way I can pay this off. There's no way I can be free of this, but I'm here to tell you that you can be free. This man was failing the spiritual test of money, but he repented and he turned it around and you can do the same thing. Imagine with me for a second what it would be like if the people of God, the 2.1 billion people of God around the world 
didn't operate according to the world system of money? What would that be like? What if the 2.1 billion people on the planet were the ones who were the lenders? What if the 2.1 billion people on the planet that call Jesus God, what if they were the ones using their bricks, their money, for things that were good? What if you, what if this church, what if every single one of us began to manage our money according to Scripture? We began to put practical principles into place. We all got out of debt. What in the world could we do? What kind of legacy could we leave? Think about your kids. Wouldn't it be nice for your kids to graduate high school and they fill out that FAFSA form? I feel like I'm cursing when I say that, FAFSA. They fill out that FAFSA form to get financial aid and student loans and you, you come to your child and you say, don't fill that out. You didn't know this, but we've been preparing for this day. Or like in the Jewish custom when two young people would get married, the father had already prepared a place for them. Wouldn't it be nice for your kids to find the love of their life and instead of getting encumbered with 30 years worth of debt, you were able to put your arm around them and say, I'm so proud of you guys. Here's your house. Here's a legacy that I'm going to leave. And you know, it only takes one generation to break it. It just takes one mom and dad to break it because once you break it, and it's hard to break it, I agree, it passes from generation to generation. Because then your kids, well, they got a free house when they got married, and they can begin saving right from the beginning, and they can do the same thing for their kids. You ever wonder why the Jewish people stereotypically are so wealthy in America? Or around the world, it's because number one, they're God's chosen people. But number two, it's because they live these principles and they pass it on. They're legacy builders. They pass it on from generation to generation to generation. And you can do the same thing. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, I honor you today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that we would go against the grain as your children. We would not get caught in the normal of this world, but we would go in the normal of the kingdom, that we would be a peculiar people, Father. Thank you that you give us the ability to manage our money appropriately, God, that we would be everything that you called us and designed us and desired us to be. If you're here today, and as I was preaching, just in your heart, you know that, man, I've made some mistakes with money. And something inside of you is saying, I, I, I need to make a change with that. I know for Melissa and myself, even though we're very good money managers, felt like the Lord brought some things to our attention. And last week we sat down together and we just repented of a couple of little things that we need to tweak in the way we manage our finances. And if you're here today and you know you need to tweak some of those things, I would encourage you to take this moment and repent before the Lord. Repent before the Lord of getting caught in the world's way of doing it. And take a stand. Go against the grain. Swim upstream. Do something different. Don't be caught in the 70% of people that are living paycheck to paycheck. If that's you today, God's tugging on your heart for that. I want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up? You know you need to make some changes in the way you do your finances. Yeah, a lot of people. Go ahead. It's okay. Lift your hand. Make a statement to the Lord today. Let him see that. 
put your hands down. Secondly, you're here today and you do not know who Jesus is. You've heard his name, but you don't really know him personally. And, you know, we've talked a lot about being a slave to the lender. But if you don't know Jesus today, you're a slave to sin. And if you really look inside, you, you can feel that. You can sense that. There's this internal struggle that happens in your heart. Like you want to know God, but there's all of these things in the world that, that pull you and you battle inside. If you're battling inside today, that's God trying to draw you out so that he can have a relationship with you. So if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with God. He's tugging on your heart. I want to help facilitate your connection with him. God's tugging on your heart. Would you lift your hand just so I can pray for you? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Nobody's looking around. Everybody's eyes are closed. Who else? God's tugging on your heart today. You guys can put your hands down. Anybody else as I look across the room? I'm not here to answer all of your questions. God will do that in time. I'm just here to facilitate what's happening inside of your heart. If you're having that conversation back and forth, it's because God is drawing you. I just encourage you to respond to that. I know it's a little intimidating to lift your hand, and so maybe you're here and God's tugging on your heart. You don't want to lift your hand. Just look up at me. Make eye contact with me just so I can pray for you. One last time. Thank you, sir. Scripture says this, says if you can say with your mouth the things that are happening in your heart, that, that you can be born again, as Scripture calls it, that your heart opens up and you make a place for God to come and dwell inside of you. And that the, the sacrifice that we talked about when we received communion earlier today, that, that ongoing sacrifice is applied to everything that you do, all the mistakes that you have made, all the mistakes that you will make. So I want to help you today. Say with your words what's happening inside of your heart. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Those of you joining us by video, if God's tugging on your heart, I encourage you, pray this prayer. Send us a note. Let us know so we can connect with you. Let's pray this together. Say, Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I receive that gift, and I open my heart, and I invite you in. Give me purpose. Give me destiny and give me some momentum with the resources that you've given me so that I can do something great with my life and my generation. Let's welcome all those into the kingdom. So proud of you.